Book Four, Chapter Five of Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Four, Chapter Five. The Filter, Its Effect. When Glaucus arrived at his own home, he found Nydia seated under the portico of his garden. In fact, she had sought his house in the mere chance that he might return at an early hour. Anxious, fearful, anticipative, she resolved upon seizing the earliest opportunity of availing herself of the love charm, while at the same time she half hoped the opportunity might be deferred. It was, then, in that fearful, burning mood, her heart beating, her cheek flushing, that Nydia awaited the possibility of Glaucus's return before the night. He crossed the portico just as the first stars began to rise, and the heaven above had assumed its most purple robe. "'Oh, my child, wait you for me?' "'Nay, I have been tending the flowers.' and did but linger a little while to rest myself. "'It has been warm,' said Glaucus, placing himself also on one of the seats beneath the colonnade. "'Very. Wilt thou summon Davos? The wine I have drunk heats me, and I long for some cooling drink.' Here at once, suddenly and unexpectedly, the very opportunity that Nydia awaited presented itself. Of himself, at his own free choice, he afforded to her that occasion. She breathed quick. "'I will prepare for you myself,' said she, "'the summer draught that Ione loves, of honey and weak wine cooled in snow.' "'Thanks,' said the unconscious Glaucus. "'If I only love it enough, it would be grateful were it poison.' Nydia frowned, and then smiled. She withdrew for a few moments, and returned with the cup containing the beverage. Glaucus took it from her hand. What would not Nydia have given then for one hour's prerogative of sight, to have watched her hopes ripening to effect, to have seen the first dawn of the imagined love, to have worshipped with more than Persian adoration the rising of that sun, which her credulous soul believed was to break upon her dreary night. Far different, as she stood then and there, were the thoughts, the emotions of the blind girl, from those of the vain Pompeian under a similar suspense. In the last, what poor and frivolous passions had made up the daring whole? What petty pique! what small revenge, what expectation of a paltry triumph, had swelled the attributes of that sentiment she dignified with the name of love. But in the wild heart of the Thessalian all was pure, uncontrolled, unmodified passion, erring, unwomanly, frenzied, but debased by no elements of a more sordid feeling. Filled with love as with life itself, how could she resist the occasion of winning love in return? 
she leaned for support against the wall, and her face, before so flushed, was now white as snow, and with her delicate hands clasped convulsively together, her lips apart, her eyes on the ground, she waited the next words Glaucus should utter. Glaucus had raised the cup to his lips. He had already drained about a fourth of its contents, when his eye suddenly glancing upon the face of Nydia, he was so forcibly struck by its alteration, by its intense and painful and strange expression, that he paused abruptly, and still holding the cup near his lips, exclaimed, Why, Nydia, Nydia, I say, art thou ill or in pain? Nay, thy face speaks for thee. What ails my poor child? As he spoke, he put down the cup, and rose from his seat to approach her, when a sudden pang shot coldly to his heart, and was followed by a wild, confused, dizzy sensation at the brain. The floor seemed to glide from under him, his feet seemed to move on air, a mighty and unearthly gladness rushed upon his spirit, he felt too buoyant for the earth, he longed for wings, nay, it seemed in the buoyancy of his new existence as if he possessed them. He burst involuntarily into a loud and thrilling laugh, he clapped his hands, he bounded aloft, he was as a pythoness inspired. Suddenly as it came, this preternatural transport passed, though only partially, away. He now felt his blood rushing loudly and rapidly through his veins. It seemed to swell, to exult, to leap along, as a stream that has burst its bounds and hurries to the ocean. It throbbed in his ear with a mighty sound. He felt it mount to his brow. He felt the veins in his temples stretch and swell, as if they could no longer contain the violent and increasing tide. Then a kind of darkness fell over his eyes, darkness but not entire, for through the dim shade he saw the opposite walls glow out, and the figures painted thereon seemed ghost-like to creep and glide. What was most strange, he did not feel himself ill. He did not sink or quail beneath the dread frenzy that was gathering over him. The novelty of the feeling seemed bright and vivid. He felt as if a younger health had been infused into his frame. He was gliding on to madness, and he knew it not. Nydia had not answered his first question. She had not been able to reply. His wild and fearful laugh had roused her from her passionate suspense. She could not see his fierce gesture. She could not mark his reeling and unsteady step as he paced unconsciously to and fro, but she heard the words, broken, incoherent, insane, that gushed from his lips. She became terrified and appalled. She hastened to him, feeling with her arms until she touched his knees, and then, falling on the ground, she embraced them, weeping with terror and excitement. Oh, speak to me, speak! 
you do not hate me speak speak by the bright goddess a beautiful land this cyprus oh how they fill us with wine instead of blood now they open the veins of the fawn yonder to show how the tide within bubbles and sparkles come hither jolly old god thou ridest on a goat eh what long silky hair he has he is worth all the courses of parthia but a word with thee this wine of thine is too strong for us mortals oh beautiful the boughs are at rest the green waves of the forest have caught the zephyr and drowned him not a breath stirs the leaves and i view the dreams sleeping with folded wings upon the motionless elm and i look beyond and i see a blue stream sparkle in the silent noon a fountain a fountain springing aloft ah my fount thou wilt not put out rays of my grecian sun though thou triest ever so hard with thy nimble and silver arms and now what form steals yonder through the boughs she glides like a moonbeam she has a garland of oak leaves on her head in her hand is a vase upturned from which she pours pink and tiny shells and sparkling water oh look on yon face man never before saw its like see we are alone only i and she in the wide forest there is no smile upon her lips she moves grave and sweetly sad <sighs> fly it is a nymph it is one of the wild napai whoever sees her becomes mad fly see she discovers me oh glaucus glaucus do you not know me rave not so wildly or thou wilt kill me with a word a new change seemed now to operate upon the jarring and disordered mind of the unfortunate athenian he put his hand upon nydia's silken hair he smoothed the locks he looked wistfully upon her face and then as in the broken chain of thought one or two links were yet unsevered it seemed that her countenance brought its associations of ione and with that remembrance his madness became yet more powerful and it swayed and tinged by passion as he burst forth i swear by venus by diana and by juno that though i have now the world on my shoulders as my countryman hercules ah dull rome whoever was truly great was of greece why you would be godless if it were not for us i say as my countryman hercules had before me I would let it fall into chaos for one smile from Ione. Oh, beautiful, adored, he added, in a voice inexpressibly fond and plaintive. Thou lovest me not, thou art unkind to me. The Egyptian hath belied me to thee. Thou knowest not what hours I have spent beneath thy casement. Thou knowest not how I have outwatched the stars, 
thinking thou my son wouldst rise at last and thou lovest me not thou forsakest me oh do not leave me now i feel that my life will not be long let me gaze on thee at least until the last i am of the bright land of thy fathers i have trod the heights of filey i have gathered the hyacinth and rose amidst the olive groves of Elysus. thou shouldst not desert me for thy fathers were brothers to my own and they say this land is lovely and these climes serene but i will bear thee with me oh dark form why risest thou like a cloud between me and mine death sits calmly dread upon thy brow on thy lip is the smile that slays thy name is orcus but on earth men call thee arbaces see i know thee fly dim shadow thy spells avail not glaucus glaucus murmured nydia releasing her hold and falling beneath the excitement of her dismay remorse and anguish insensible on the floor who calls said he in a loud voice ione it is she they have borne her off we will save her where is my stylus ah i have it i come ione to thy rescue i come i come so saying the athenian with one bound passed the portico he traversed the house and rushed with swift but vacillating steps and muttering audibly to himself down the starlit streets the direful potion burnt like fire in his veins for its effect was made perhaps still more sudden from the wine he had drunk previously used to the excesses of nocturnal revellers the citizens with smiles and winks gave way to his reeling steps they naturally imagined him under the influence of the bromian god not vainly worshipped at pompeii but they who looked twice upon his face started in a nameless fear and the smile withered from their lips he passed the more populous streets and pursuing mechanically the way to ione's house he traversed a more deserted quarter and entered now the lonely grove of cybele in which apicides had held his interview with the linthus End of Book Four, Chapter Five.